Yo, 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 what's going on? Welcome back to Forgiven AF Podcast. Remember, this is a second chance podcast. We use this as marketing material for our um, nonprofit, our Second Chance Mentors program. Um, I'm your host, Sean Surface. So super excited to be back with you guys again this week. Um, got a little bit of a different setup, but first I want to share with you all something that happened last week that was really special to me. So since I got out of prison in 2016, I haven't stepped foot back into a facility, even though I've wanted to. I've just kind of been, I don't know if it was dragging my feet on it or maybe the right opportunity just hadn't presented itself, but kind of a cool story. I was at a Spartan race and I was wearing my second chance fitness shirt and uh, a man and a woman kind of stopped me and they were like, Hey, can you explain to me what that second chance fitness shirt means? And I said, yeah. So I just ran through a quick rundown of my past and you know how I got in trouble and going to prison and then what we have going on now. And the guy was like, Man, this is so crazy, but I felt like God told me to ask you that because I'm the prison pastor for Gateway Church. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Gateway Church. It's Robert Morris is the head pastor. It's a huge church. I think it might be the biggest church in the United States. They have campuses um, all over the place. Maybe not the biggest. Don't fact check me on that. But they are a very large church that's doing a lot of amazing things. And we had kind of kept in touch over the past few months. Well, he reached out to me. Stephen Wilson is his name. He's uh, the head of all Gateway's you know, prison campuses, and I think they have six different prison campuses, which is freaking amazing. And he reached out to me and asked if we wanted to come to their first recovery house graduation. So Gateway sponsors pretty much pays for all this programming and stuff to take place in these six locations and asked uh, Christy and I if we wanted to go. Walking in, I literally thought that there was a chance that I might throw up. I felt sick to my stomach uh, going behind that barbed wire willingly this time, though, but, but it was... Mm, I can't even describe the feeling, but so it was really awkward. But once we're in there and we're talking to these men, the first guy that I got into conversation with as he was graduating, I explained how I did, you know, around six years. And, and I was like, so how much time you got left? And he goes, uh, I got life plus 20. So the guy was not getting out. And something really hit me about that because you think to yourselves like, well, why would this guy even go through a recovery program if he's not ever getting out of prison? But he's still choosing, even though he's in there for the rest of his life, to try to live a clean, healthy, productive life um, and be able to help other men that are getting out. And it, it just really blew me away. And it like made me realize, like, I need to step it up, like what I'm doing. I could be doing more. And, but just listen to this guy who's never going to get out of prison, who was in there for murder, car- murder charges, um, but has now, you know, dedicated his life to recovery and helping these other men in recovery. I just wanted to share that with you guys because I thought it was really special. Um, And what they did, they asked me if I would set up a fitness program for these guys that go through this recovery house program. So they asked if if I would set up some sort of like six-week training schedule, maybe make it a competition, still trying to come up with ideas of how exactly to run it and because there's a lot of rules that you have to go with. But just if you guys pray, that's something pray pray for me about that, that we set up a good program and that we can have some impact with these guys in prison because a lot of times those guys get forgotten about. Okay, well, thank you for listening to my story. Now let's get to the show. So today's episode is a little bit different. We're going to do a Q&A. Um, about five or six episodes I asked for people to send in emails of any questions that they might have. Or, and honestly, there's a couple questions in here that I sidestepped for a while and wasn't really comfortable with answering. But I don't know if you guys remember. So James Klein, who's on the show with us today, is my producer. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be shooting these podcasts. I mean, he was the first person when the idea came up that 
he was so encouraging and pushed me and said, you can do this. Your voice needs to be heard. Let's make this happen. So first of all, James, thank you for that. Um, and I'm super excited to have you on the show doing this Q&A with me. So thanks for doing this, dude. Man, I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you always, man. Uh, if I could, man, I just wanted to, uh, to say on record, on camera, man, I appreciate, you know, not only our business, but, man, I appreciate more than our business, your friendship, you know, because, uh, you know, you've been solid since day one, man. You know, we've always shot straight with each other. You know, we, we clicked in, you know, we... You know, we have a mutual love for God. You know, we try to try to do the best that we could do in the universe. We always trying to reach across the aisle and help people, man. And I, I just see it sounds crazy, but I see so much of me in you. And I'm pretty sure you see some of you in me. That's how that's how we kind of built our, our friendship. So 100 uh, like percent. So I, I, I appreciate like, that, brother. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I agree with you 100 percent. I feel like right away we just kind of clicked. Um, it was funny because we had actually already met. Yeah, but then Corn brought me over here, and I was like, "Oh man, how funny is that?" But it's like a family reunion. It was like, <laughs> it's funny. But all right, let's get into these questions. So we, um, go ahead, you got it. Okay, so uh, I do want to tell you that you had an awful lot of emails, but we kind of took it upon ourselves to kind of curate. You know, go through some of them. Some of them was super wild. We probably can't ask them on air, but. Uh, but some of these questions that I'll be asking today, it's kind of like a lot of people is asking the same questions. So I kind of randomly pick somebody who asked the question since so many people ask the same question. But um, this is um, this one. The first question, actually, she has three questions on the same um, email. It's uh, from Alicia in Dallas, Texas. And it says, um, you want me to ask you one at a time? Yeah, or? let's just do one. Okay, one at a time. Okay. Um, how did you get the idea to start Second Chance Mentors? Oh, that's a cool question. So after I'd been out for about two years and our first gym was cranking and doing good, I literally was in prayer, like saying, God, should, what is, what's my next step? Should I open another location? What, like, what should I do? And about that same time, I got invited by um, the head homicide detective in Arlington. His name is Robert Walsh to come share my testimony at a school in Arlington called Turning Point. So I went to the school these kids were so engaged. I mean, I wore some like Dior Jordan. So they were all like, you know, right away we had a connection and they were asking about the shoes and then asking about, you know, everything I'd gone through. And then at the end, the counselors, these boys were super, like you could tell they were like thirsty for like, I felt like they were thirsty for like a male influence, you know? And at the end, the counselor came back into the room. And she, he was like, Hey, how many of you guys have a male father figure, a role model in your life whatsoever? And only three of the 33 kids raised their hand. And literally driving home, like, I can, whatever, I don't need to be tough. I cried. I was like, I felt like God was saying, like, this is what I want you to do. Like, this is what I want you to try to find a way to get into this space. I didn't know anything about nonprofits. I didn't know anything about, like, nothing about mentorship programs. I just literally got home, like, started doing some Google searches and applied for the 501c3 that day. Um, used a couple connections that I had in the uh, in the gym with, like, some principals that uh, got me connected with the Phoenix Academy, which is the alternative school in Mansfield. And then we just jumped all in and we're still just trying to like learn it as we go. But I figured normally I sit around and wait until everything's perfect because I don't want to mess up. But I felt like God was just saying, get your feet wet. Wow, man, that's dope, man. I, I didn't even know that, you know, and, uh, and you know, we've talked, you know, yeah. several times about different things, but I don't think I ever asked that question specifically, but that's good to know, man. That's, that's interesting, bro. And that's, and it's a great, uh, reason to do what you're doing because you was moved to do it. You yeah, know, I, I feel like you was moved by God to to act on what you was doing. I think so too. I totally. And he's been involved in everything. You could tell the whole way. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 
So the the second question Alicia asked was, um, let's see, what do you think is what do you think is the most important quality in a mentor? Oh, like you personally? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, it's consistency. It's a lot of these boys um, and girls too, but a lot of these boys have had men come in and out of their lives um, and haven't stayed there, or you know, have made promises and haven't kept them. So. Yeah, there's a lot of things that make a good mentor, you know, obviously honesty and but consistency is the biggest one that makes a difference because they show up when they say they're going to show up. They after a couple months, they don't get bored and turn around. You can as a mentor, you're going to make mistakes. Like there's times I give a boy some advice. And I'm like, maybe that wasn't the best, best advice. But if I'm consistent and I'm back again and back again, I can correct. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just a growing process between us and the boys, because most of the time it's extremely awkward when I pair a. 50 year old man out with a 16 year old boy and try to form that relationship. The first couple of times are awkward. I've got some mentors that haven't even been able to do it. They're like, Sean, I just don't know what to, what to say, but it's not about what to say. It's, we have to prove ourselves to these boys in the beginning that we're going to keep coming back. So that's, I think consistency um, is probably the most important thing when it comes to mentorship. Wow. And then this listening to you talk, I got a question now. So if you know, let me know if I'm no, go ahead. But um, so so do you ever feel like you bit off more than you can chew with, with signing on as a mentor? Like, cause I know you, you, you really go hard for these kids, man. And kind of, you was just kind of saying some of the things that, you know, man, it's, it's always, it's sometimes it's a lot going on, but do you ever feel like, Oh man, I, I, I really just don't have the energy to be a mentor. Do you ever like a hundred percent? So, and it's not to be a mentor more so it was kind of running this mentorship because I said I just jumped out there and I wanted to help so many kids. We got up to like 10, 11, 12 kids fast, right? And I had no structure, no organization. So I'm literally texting 12 kids every day. Got to pick up 12 kids when we have an event. Got to, And it was just, I was getting run down. Um, and God put the right people in at the right time. Um, Greg Potts, who's pretty much taken us to the complete next level. He's just organized and he starts structures now where the boys get get an email, check in every month. So it's not like I'm having to reach out and do it because I want to be like the hands on the face, the, you know, I'm doing this stuff with the boys, but the back end organization stuff is what we were lacking. And now I've gotten help with that. So I think I've overcome that. But yeah, there's times where it's like, man, what did I get myself into for sure? So the structure of it was, was what you had to kind of get needed to get structure and organization. Yeah. So you, you kind of made reference to the boys a couple of times, which is kind of funny because it kind of ties right into uh, the third question is, um, you know, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself at 16? Because I know some of your boys are right in that age range, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what would you like you now? What would you tell yourself as a 16 year old, which is kind of what I would imagine you're telling the boys right now? Yeah, I've got a couple. I've got two. One is very vulnerable. Um, the second one, I'll start with the one that's not vulnerable. The, the first one would be don't be scared to fail like I lived my life worried about what other people think about me. I still struggle with it. Um, but it holds people back from like taking chances that it takes to be successful, right? Like, oh, I don't want to go apply for that job. What are they going to think if, if someone like me goes to apply for this job? Like, I'm too worried that they'll make fun of me for even trying. And that's the type of attitude or the type of uh, mindset that just keeps us down if we're not willing to jump out there and fail here and there. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's how we get successful. The second one, <laughs> this one's a little bit, more vulnerable, but I'm just going to put it out there because if it can help one kid or one person can hear this, um, is staying away from pornography at a young age. Um, it's ruined, um, so much 
as far as like when you're actually then with with a woman, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. expectations or the way you treat them or just, um, and it's something I don't struggle with anymore. I've beaten that for years now. I haven't, since before prison. Can we unpack that a little bit? I think we should. That's Cause, okay. Cause, cause as a, as a man, I'm, I'm 42, about to be 43. And like I said, we have a lot of, uh, parallels in our lives yeah and as a young man i don't now that you put it in words you attach a name to it i think i had a problem with that too as a young man because um you know it's, it's it seems like for me i was just a horny little devil you know like yeah. you know i mean i had girlfriends you know i was active sexually but i always aspired for what i saw in a in a flick right, right. and and i do think i do think that um it can cause people to have an unhealthy expectation when yep. it comes to to women, uh, to, to women, right? Yeah. Because these people are doing stuff that they're getting paid to do. They're actresses. They're kind of a little over the top with yep. different stuff. And, you know, some people are a little more modest, a little more humble, and they're not just going to, you know, wild all out like that. You, yeah. may, you might find the occasional person like that, yeah. you know, but that's, you know, that's not going to be the norm. No, you hit it right so, on the head. It's, it's the unrealistic... Think about this. Guys are funny. Guys want to have a girl who ain't been with many guys, but then they also want to have a girl who's going to hang from the ceiling fan doing some crazy stuff, right? Right. So we can't have both. You know what I mean? Like you, there, maybe you said you can kind of maybe every once in a while, right? But that's not the norm. And then what you're doing is sometimes you have these expectations of a girl who's, you know, it's just a tough. It's it's just tough, and it just it's, it's better for them to not. Experience that, to not and have to then go down have these have these 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 expectations, you of know, women that are not realistic. Yeah, right. You know what I mean, and and therefore causes you to make a girl maybe feel like she's not as fun, or when you should be, you know, honoring and respecting this girl. So mm -hmm. that's kind of just, and it also there's it's such a dopamine rush. There's so many studies. I would like to have a whole podcast one time just on that because um, it's ruining the ha kids' happiness because um, mm -hmm. you have all this dopamine rush every time you do that. Um, so then regular things in life that should be make you happy don't have the same effect. Mm -hmm. So there's just so much to it. I think it's more men than than would probably talk about it uh, because, you know, there's that's a reason why that was like one of the biggest in industries at that time, yep. you know, because it was so many people either consuming the products or involved in the industry directly. Yep. So. But no, that's that's interesting. We might need to talk about this again on a separate show, yeah. man. But that's but I do. You know, I would like to add too that. um uh, that young men need to, if at all possible, stay away from that. Just stay natural and stay stay the course of, you know, keeping so much influence or, or television, yeah. you know, uh, you know, this this fantasy world out of your life because it does create unrealistic expectations and, you know, um, it can it can it can it can mess up a lot of relationships. Yep. I believe. I, be, I so, agree, hundred percent. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry, bro. I just <laughs> no, you're, no, you're right. I didn't. I mean, it was an awkward one to go into, but I, I tell no, you guys, I, I want to try to be as real as possible when we talk on this show, and that's something that I know that a lot of boys are struggling with. Yep, girls yep. too nowadays. So. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. We need to have that one day too. <laughs> but most certainly, I yeah. think, I think, I think young people. I yeah. say young people because they're searching, and it's so much that's being pushed out to them in the universe, and. Man, that's a whole nother con bro. We just yeah. probably need to stick to these no, questions. Cause, like I, I was about to say that it's so much that's being promoted to these young people nowadays that they can be involved in a lot. Much like we, like you know, we seen 
the porn commercials and all that type of stuff that pop up in the middle of the night. You remember Cinemax? Yeah, yep. All this stuff that pop up at 12 o'clock when we're supposed to be sleeping. Yep. All, of us, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, what's this? Yep. <laughs> Let me watch this at 13, you know, because it just pop up. But, but now it's so much that pops up. Uh, for young people, and, uh, and and let me know if I'm going too far into it, bro. But so so much is going on right now with young people being influenced by uh, television and other things that you know. Just I mean, it's just it's just so much that I really feel like um, I really feel like it's affecting the kids adversely. I agree. You know, because 100%. they're not mature enough to kind of decipher through a lot of that stuff. For one. I agree. You know? And that's why I think a lot of this stuff needs to be kept out of schools at that age, too. I mean, these boys and girls, they're not even old enough to really understand what's going on. And we're trying to teach them about things in third, fourth grade. Uh, that's I mean, that's a, another one we could say is another topic, but it's just something you got to be careful about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we, we, we're going to come back on another episode and talk about that. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. So this is um, this is from uh, John in Houston. Say, what's your biggest regret? Ooh, that's a good one. You got a couple of them, though. Yeah, I'd say my <laughs> biggest one, um, man, I've got a lot of them. But this is a huge one, is when I went to the Marines, and it was something that I finally thought that I like had it under control. Like I, I got my life together. I was a squad leader in boot camp, then went to advanced infantry training. I was like killing it, and then came home and relapsed, went back and got kicked out of the Marines. Everyone says God does everything. You know, things happen for a reason, and maybe – None of this would be possible if that if I would have stayed in. Maybe something would have happened or whatever. But that was something that was just a forced, it's just a decision that I made. And I even remember making the decision to get high and like just immediately feeling the shame and the regret and knowing like, man, I think I just messed something else up. So I think that was a big one. Mm -hmm. Obviously, continuing to sell drugs once my son was born was a huge one because I missed the first six years of his life. So what you got popped with when you went back? Uh, when like, I when I ended up getting arrested, was it weed that you? No, my case. I actually went for possession with intent to distribute. No, meth. no, 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 no. I'm talking about when you went back to the military. Oh, when I failed a drug yeah, test, yeah. partying cocaine. Oh, was it cocaine? Yeah. Oh man, and a party. Yeah. So, um, but that happened on base. No, nope, it happened. I was on leave, so I got to come home for like a week. Yep. And um, thought that oh man, I got six days. I can just party for the first two. Yeah. And that's not how the military drug tests can test back like a week or so, even longer, because they test for what breaks down the drug. They don't even test for the drug. So they're like far more advanced. Wow. Yeah. It was, And I think I knew that. That's what was another regret. I just. It's like, bad, I just made a dumb decision, decision and I making. knew it was a dumb decision. Yep. Bad decision making. That's a that's not a good regret, but that's a good thing to know that you did wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is from Jen in Baltimore. Where is Baltimore, bro? Maryland? Maryland, yeah. Baltimore, Maryland? Mm -hmm. Baltimore. Um, okay, this is, um, what was it like serving time in prison, and how did you stay positive? I guess that's a two-part question. Yeah, but that's a good one. Um, when I first went to prison, like, I remember having this conversation with myself. I had two options. I can sit here. Did you cry, bro? Tell the truth. Yeah, I'm... I got a funny story about that. When my pre-sentence investigation came back, your pre-sentence investigation is initially what the courts are recommending you get time-wise. Mm -hmm. Now, what the, the probation officers that put these together, their job is to make you look as bad as possible. I mean, and just like throw as much crap against the wall as they can and see what sticks, right? So I've been in now incarcerated for about three weeks before this PSI comes back, pre-sentence investigation. Mm -hmm. I open it at mail call. 
and it's recommending that I have 19 years in prison. First time I've ever been in trouble. This is my first like felony. You know what I mean? This is the first time I've been in jail and my pre-sentence investigation comes back 19 years. I just... Why, I mean, why will, did, did they give you any reason why they oh, recommended... tons of reasons. They, for everything they could possibly think of, they would add on points. So like they said that my case involved importation of drugs, right? I, I, at this point, I'd never even been to Mexico. So it wasn't like I was importing the drugs, but the guy that I got them from was getting them from somebody who was getting them from somebody who was bringing it from Mexico. It seemed, and we fought that hard because we were like, how is like almost all drugs are coming from Mexico. Like someone gets caught with anything. You're just going to say that it's imported. Like, shouldn't there be knowledge of, you know, that, that shouldn't I have had to have knowledge of where it was coming from or, but anyways, we lost, um, we lost a couple of those little things, but a couple we got down. So initially I was sentenced to 13 and a half years. I, they sent me to the first prison, which is Oakdale, Louisiana. And that's when I was like, look, I got two options, man. I could sit here, feel sorry for myself, or I can literally just figure out every single opportunity that I can have over these next, at the time I'm thinking 13 years, so I can just be focused and ready to go when I get out. I remember thinking, count, I counted this probably 100 times. If I got 13 years and I do 11, my son will be seven when I get out of prison. Like I just, or not, my son will have, he'll be 11 when I get out of prison. So I'll have seven years left before he turns 18. Like mm -hmm. that's, I just, that math was just playing. How much time will I have left with my son before he turned, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and I, so I just got focused, man. I just started spending time in the law library to work on my case. I started teaching GED class. Um, I was working out. I weighed 300 pounds. I started working out at the, at the rec yard every day, started getting in good shape. And all these other older men were like, hey, man, can I work out with you? So I started training all these guys. They were paying me, which was cool to have some money. And then this doctor I was training was like, hey, man, any certifications you want to get while you're in here, I'll pay for them. So this doctor paid for me to get four certifications. His name's Sanford Myers, doc. And he, man, he had my back. Like he didn't have any kids. I felt like he just kind of like took me under his wing. And he was like, he was in there for, you know, drugs, but he had a good head on his shoulder. He was a really good guy and really like pushed me to the Lord. And we started Bible study. We had a Bible study going in there. And then uh, when I left that prison, they sent me to Forest City, Arkansas, where I got my associate's degree. Like I literally just took advantage of every opportunity that you had in prison. And that's how I had to stay positive was like, no self-pity because I did this to myself. So I was not going to sit in there and be like, oh, woe is me. Like, I'm so sad. Like, because all the choices were choices I had made. So I didn't have anyone to blame. Um, I probably, you know, I had gotten out of situations in the past that I got lucky and should have probably been in trouble before. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I, it was the first time I sold drugs that I got caught. So I just accepted responsibility and figured out what I could do to stay positive. That's so... So listening to you, and I've you know I've I've had the privilege of hearing certain pieces of this over you know over yeah. our relationship. I can say with with confidence, but I want you to elaborate. Your son was the one thing that you stay focused on. I say the one per person you stay focused on to try to make it through your sentence. Is that correct? One hundred percent. My son was like, and my mom and even my ex wife in the beginning did a really good job of keeping me. Like able to stay in contact with them. I called every day. If you separate your minutes throughout the whole month, you got 10 minutes a day because you get 300 a month. Mm -hmm. So I was super intentional. I would use my 10 minutes on my son every day. Um, the first you know, three or four years was just me talking to him and him mm -hmm. probably not even know what was going on. But mm -hmm. that was just really important. I had an amazing father and that was something that I wanted to be too. And I felt like I had messed that up, you know? 
luckily for if you all don't know the story i did end up getting my sentence reduced um because they dropped a gun that i was that was kept in my house legally they said that it was illegal so it added five years they took that off um and then like i say all that like you'll hear me say all the time obama gave everybody two years off the for, feds took that off yep yep so the feds dropped five that took me to seven then obama gave everyone on a drug case in prison at that time two years off um so that got me back down to seven and a half and i did like six on it mm -hmm. but my whole mindset was not that it was over and that I was done. It was, how can I be ready when I get out? Yeah, and you done a good job too, bro. Thanks, man. Yeah. So that was uh, that was Jen in Baltimore. That's a good question, actually. Um, this is Vicky in New York. It's um, you seem to have a heart for the African American community. Where does that come from? I can answer. I'm, you, <laughs> you, I'm glad that you're here for that question <laughs> for me, because you've been the one that's been able to encourage me you, that it's OK to, you know, I get all clammed up and awkward when right. we start talking. You know, I'm like, well, do I say black or African-American? I let the small details that are really irrelevant try to, try to trip me up yeah, when yeah. you know me, like, you know, my heart. And you're always like, Sean, stop worrying about those details. Like, we know you like we know what you care about. You know, um, it comes from growing up, man. My dad. Uh, instilled diversity to me at a young age, like at how important. I mean, my dad, I remember in Virginia Beach, my dad had a best friend that was a pro boxer, a black dude. We used to, and he used to, man, we were together all the time. And just so seeing my dad interact like that and then being in high school, kind of early in high school, I had an opportunity because I was really good at soccer to go play at this Catholic school. And my dad was like, no, Sean, I really think that you're going to be better off in life staying in public school with the diversity and just learning how to deal with, you know what I mean, how to interact with all everybody. Mm -hmm. And I have so many, because uh, I'm from up north, right? So up north is a little bit different. Um, it's not as like, sec I don't know, it's not as separate as it kind of is in the south, right? Right. Um, and I had a lot of friends growing up, a lot of black friends that I saw not even try to to push forward and be what they could have been because they were falling for that narrative of like, oh man, that's for the white boys. That ain't for me, man. I know that I don't have that opportunity. And I saw a lot of really, really smart so much potential of my like young black friends just go straight to the like drug dealing in the hood because they said that they college ain't for me. I can't into college. I ain't got no money. I, you know, I ain't got no rich white parents, you know, just that sort of mentality. Um, and I hated that man because I felt like a lot of my friends um, had so much potential and, just, for and didn't reach for what they could have. And I, and that's kind of one reason why I felt like I've got into what I, what I do because I, every single kid has an opportunity to be something special, you know? And when they're getting that from their parents or from relatives and they're, don't get me wrong, I'll never say that they shouldn't be saying that stuff because what they've been through, right? No, I, I was going to say it, bro. It's crazy you said it because I was going to say, man, that comes from the house. That comes from the home. You know, that comes from people that has influence over that child's life, saying that and sowing those seeds and putting that out there. And that once that child kind of, you know, grabs hold of that and starts believing that, then it's, it's, it's an uphill battle for people on the outside. And that's that exactly point. what I saw of it. But I would never want to like call a parent out or something and say they're wrong because, you know, they're, they might have had a grandparent who was, you know, involved in slavery or maybe been treated, you know, you, words that shouldn't be used against them and things that have hurt them. And then they maybe have put on a, they want to protect their kid from having that same hurt. So they put this shell on them. That's kind of how I try to look at it with empathy rather, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But both ways, I mean, I just feel like it's hurting the kids rather than saying, you know what, little Johnny, or you can be whatever you want. Don't fall for that trick. Like push forward, give it a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I just feel like 
because I have friends on both sides. I have, you know, black friends that have like you, like y'all that are super successful and that have just said, you know, what, I'm not going to let race get in the way of anything. But that's because you probably had someone pouring, you know, speaking life into you at a young age yep. that made you feel like that. Absolutely. You know? And that's so I think that that's kind of something that we need to work on. But again, I'm not saying that from a place of and, judgment. And, and I think from for, for people watching this, it's a uh, it's important I, whether you the parents uh, the grandparents, uncles, aunties, or any type of guardian, or if you just an individual that's old enough to do it, I think it is imperative that people travel and get out and see the world, go places you hadn't. Because because most of the guys in my hood that that kind of was in that revolving door, you know, going in and out of prison, getting you know busted for drugs over and over, you know, murder. You know, whatever, whatever these guys was into, like it was one common th thing that that all of them had. They never left that city. They never left the little box that they were in. It's really true. But I think, you know, one thing that helped me out so much, man, uh, was was being able to get out and see black people living in two story houses. My first time leaving um, Mississippi, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio and Cleveland, Ohio, and I was seeing like. Black people with Cadillacs and two-story houses, dressed up in shirt and ties, and all of this stuff. And I was like, "Oh man, I wanna, I wanna live like this. I wanna, man, I want one of these houses. You know, I want one of these cars. Man, I wanna dress up in a suit too. You know what I'm saying? I wanna be able to articulate what I'm saying to people in a way that don't sound ghetto too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that, that was man. That I really do, I really do attribute." Me leaving Vicksburg, going to some of the bigger—I guess we yeah. say bigger cities. I mean, at, at that time, you know, um, you know, you had all the uh, the big car manufacturing companies in those areas or whatever, and they—it was just a, a lot going on. The cities was booming and stuff, yeah. you know. But um, no, but, that's so good. It actually brings me back to um, how important um, representation is, right? Yeah. So, like getting exactly. these getting these boys in our program around. Um, other successful, you know, black men and other successful, you know, Hispanic men and not like saying there's not a lot of them. They're everywhere. You know what I mean? This isn't saying that it's hard to find them. They're everywhere. But it's just showing these boys that look like you can do this. You know what I mean? Here's one that guy that looks just like you've been through the same situations and um, and look what he's made of himself. So there's really, you know, yeah. so you can too. So, yeah, that is important to me. And it's kind of it means a lot to me that uh, that's someone who I, I don't know what her name was. But notices that you know what I mean. Like this is uh, Vicky in New York. Yeah, yeah. See, yep. it means a lot to me that someone can note that notices that because that is important to me. You know, mm -hmm. so that's yep. cool. That's cool. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so this one is um, it's the last one we got here. Jeff, Jeff from Fort Worth. Uh, from Fort Worth, he says, "Where do you stand with politics?" Ooh, that's a. Mm. Cause let me let me just say let me say this because because I watched the last episode. Uh, now was it the last episodes the before? Um, it was the yeah. bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. Was, he he was talking about politics and he went in, bro. I know. And so <laughs> I hate the. Let me start off this one by saying <laughs> I'm not. I'm. Just, I, I don't want him to think that. I, I just no, thought it no, was no. interesting. Is it was very interesting how all of that came out of him. That's it what was. I was. And, okay. And I I love that he'll speak his mind. I've had people on the show, and I'll never ever pick someone to come on this show based off political beliefs. Right. I will let anybody come on the show everywhere, either way, politically. 
I've actually been told by so many people, leave it alone, don't answer the question. Um, but I, I want to, because I want all of our listeners and everyone to know me and know the real me and know where I come from. Um, first thing I'll say about politics is it politics is created to cause division and separation. So there's a balance. So one side keeps the other side race from going too. too far. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yep, yep. race too. Yep. So keep in mind that politics are made to have both sides so they keep each other in check, right? And it, believe it or not, in our country, I know it doesn't seem like it, but it works, right? Like that's why we have, yet yeah, the scales tip and then they tip back and then they tip each direction. But the way that our system is set up, I believe that it works, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, when someone asks me where I stand politically, the first thing I say is if I could take 20% off of the far right and 20% off the far left and just knock them off the edge of the earth and we're just left with the middle, <laughs> the middle 80% of right. everybody, then I think that everything would actually be able to work out better and we could come together. I think it's the extreme left and the extreme right that is causing all the friction, but everyone mostly um, in the middle has inter- interlapping beliefs, right? You agree with that? Man, let me say this, bro. And I'm not, I'm not, his name was Kelly Burke. I'm not gonna, yeah. uh, I'm not gonna go, uh, I, even though I agree with some of what he said, I disagree with some of what he said, but I'll say this. I think um, if 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 people when they go vote instead of being a Democrat or a Republic or an Independent or whatever they were raised to be or whatever they feel like they are diehard whatever I say if you just look at policies and you only look at policies you'll find out that you have something in common with both sides right so if we're just talking about yeah. DNR right I think sometimes and 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 this is this really means something to me because in the black community, a lot of black people are they just by default they're democratic, and not even knowing the true history of Democrat. Democrats used to be the Republicans. Republicans used to be the Democrats, right? You 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 aware of that, right? You already know that. So so some of the things that black people like about Democrats were actually done by Republicans. It's just they they switch they really yeah. switch parties, but um, not to you know because I know they ask you this question, but yeah. I'm just I'm kind of going somewhere. I feel like if if you just do your research on the the candidate and you look at the policies, I think it's more than likely if you just take the DNR away from it and just look at policies and say, oh, this positively impacts my family, I'm gonna keep that. This negatively impacts my family. I don't want that. Um, this would benefit, you know, me with my 401k and my, you know, my mm-hmm. um, my healthcare and that type of stuff. I keep that. Oh no, this is gonna raise the taxes on, you know, my house. I don't want that. So when you get through picking through all the things you want and don't want, the policies that are presented to you, you'll find out that you're not either. You're not a Democrat or Republican. Yeah. You just, you know, like... I agree. You know, I agree 100%. And I'm, I apologize if no, I kind of no. ran off. I'm just saying, like, sometimes people wear that badge, they wear that, that DRR, and they... And, 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. why I think, and I call that identity politics, I, and I don't even know if that's the right term, but what to me that is, is no matter what they say, you're going to agree with the left side or the right side 100% all in, no matter what they're saying, mm-hmm. and that just leads to, you're just picking a team instead of actually looking at what's going on with politics, right? right. Um, y'all know um, God, my relationship with faith um, is my number one priority, right? So, and I, let me try to think of how to say this. 
I, I have a lot of ideas that go both ways. And I'm mm-hmm. going to give you some examples. I think, um, and I'm going to jump right into them. I, I'll probably offend somebody, but whatever. I think when it comes to the, the topic of abortion, I feel like um, if a person is raped or incest or something like that, they should not be forced to carry some baby I agree from with someone that, like 100%. that. But I also don't think it should just be used as birth control. I agree with that too. Like just get pregnant, have abortion, get pregnant. So I don't think, so that's where I stand on that. I don't, I'm not a hard no I'm like, there's some situations here where we need to have some empathy and not make a girl carry a baby that was forced on her or something, right? Yeah, somebody get raped, bro. That's a hard call. So, right there. That's, so or if you're a baby, torturing that person, by, I agree. So, yeah. or if a baby uh, passes away and the mother like having to wait to get the, you know what I mean? There's little mm-hmm. things like that. But my overall opinion is that it's wrong. So, but I think that there's some gray area in there. But the same thing, um, another topic on that was something like the, is guns. I believe that um, gun control laws are not very smart because I feel that if let's say they pass a ban on AR-15s, the only people that are turning in their AR-15s are the law-abiding citizens, right? So now we are less with just the criminals with their guns, and that doesn't seem smart to me. But on this other side of that coin, I don't think there's any reason in the world that an 18-year-old boy should or whatever should just be able to walk into a gun shop and walk out uh, with an AR-15 that day. I mean, because if he's a hunting trip, he could plan that a couple weeks in advance, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the, I think the age needs to go up to like 25 or something where like when we get a discount for our license, right? Or insurance. Right. We don't Absolutely. get a discount on our insurance till we're 25. Why can we buy? But don't get me wrong. AR does not stand for assault rifle. It stands for Armor Elite. It's the company that that makes that gun, you know what I mean? That makes that rifle. A lot of people don't understand that an AR-15 is just a single shot. It's not a machine gun or anything like that. It's just pull the trigger once, it fires once. Just a lot of you know mixed information about all that. But I say all that to, to say, I'm definitely more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if I, if I had to pick up, like I'm if a, I had to pick a side. I'm um, gonna ask you this, but if you don't mind. Yeah. So I was thinking like, uh, and I couldn't find anything. I'm not saying it's not out there, but I couldn't find anything that that is definitive one way or the other. But can can if you've been to prison, um you can you you have to go to prison for a certain thing before you cannot own a gun again, right? I'm glad you brought that up. So I technically because I have a federal felony, right? Because I was a United some people's arrests say the state of Texas versus them, right? Yep. Mine's the United States of America versus Sean Surface. So I am never allowed under any circumstances to own a firearm again. I don't think that that's right because I've never had a, any, I have zero violence. Um, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. nothing, my, nothing on my case had a, to do with a gun being used illegally or even in furtherance of drug trafficking. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with guns or violence, but I'm never allowed to own one. Now, if it was, if I had a state felony, right? If I had got it just as a Texas like felony, um, after 10 years, I would be able to um, then own firearm again after that, but only in my home. So, so that, so, so if you are a convicted felon and it's not a violent crime, right? It's not a violent crime and it's on the state level, then after a certain amount of time, you could be eligible to Correct. own a firearm. Correct. See, I, I couldn't figure out if if, if the wording, because I didn't dive you know, super deep yeah. into it, but I was trying to figure that out. But that's that's good to know, especially for people who who go to prison, who make a little mistake, a little scuff, and they end up going to prison for a few years. Because, I mean, man, it t- you have to have the right to bear arms. It man. really sucks. I mean, I just think that it's, it's yeah, because, yeah, I think about it, it's a lot of people going to prison, taking pleas. And in the black community, I know in my community, and I'm pretty sure this happens in the white community, happens in the Filipino com- community, the Hispanic community, probably, you know, every community. But I know in my community personally, I know 
more than two handfuls of people who took plea deals for shit they didn't do. I'm sorry, bro. For things that they didn't do because they were, it was a good chance that they were going to get railroaded into like more years. Oh, 100%. Like this, like, yo, you know, we, you know, if you fight us, we're going to give you 25 years. No, that's what years. they do. That's what they yeah. do. They, they throw so much at you to make you, f- that's why there's so many people that are not guilty in prison. That yeah. exact reason. Because no, that's take, terrible though. Take a young, let's just put this, let's just make this example up. Take a 20 year old black kid, right? Who has seen nothing or seen all the stuff that happens to, you know, with law enforcement and black kids and stuff like that, right? Already terrified of the system. Now, they get arrested on something they didn't do. They come back with a plea deal and say, here, either you sign this for 20 years and admit, and say you're guilty. Even, you know what? Even you sign this for one year and say you're guilty or we're coming after you for life. They don't think that they have a chance to win this. Now they're signing on something they didn't do. They lose a year of their life and now they're a felon for life and can never protect their family with a firearm, just like you said. So I feel like that's... And, and, you, and you can't, once you sign the plea deals, you can't go back and fight that. No, you're. That's like you're, once you sign, it's like, yo, we. You know, I, I agree done. with you. I'm not gonna fight you. I I agree to not get a lawyer and try to. A plea deal comes with a waiver to ever be able to fight a case. Yep. Anytime you plead guilty to something, you're signing saying that, and I never have a chance at this again. And you know what's crazy about that? It, you know, I know we talk about politics, but I think this is this is definitely tied into politics. When when people be in jail for like. 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You've seen these things, people, yeah. 45 years. And then they find out these people didn't do the crime. And then they get out of, they end up, you know, these, uh, I, I forgot what they call them. There's like the free, free something. It's that Kim Kardashian commission. does it. Yeah. yeah. So, But it's, it's more and more people getting involved. And I think I like that because it's more and more people with money getting yeah. involved with it. So that can kind of help push the, For sure. the process further uh, because they have money and connections. But so, but I, what I've what I've heard from somebody, a family member of somebody who went through that, is when these people get out of prison, a part of their release packet, they have to sign something saying they're not gonna they're not gonna come and go back after the federal government or the state, bro. That's yeah, it's it's you're right, and that's the same that's the same thing as a plea deal. It's it's just like a plea deal, but now they're just trying to protect themselves from owing the person two, three, four million dollars, or whatever. They much. should it's pay the mu- people. They should, and they do sometimes. Sometimes the people will say no, but here's the thing: you've got a kid locked up for twenty years, from twenty to forty, thinks he's doing life right. They come at you and say, "Hey, look, man, we we're gonna let you out of here, but we need you to sign this." That how fast is that person gonna sign that? They're to gonna get sign it. They're gonna sign so fast. To get, you know, I get to go home today. Yeah, you just got signed. But this these paper. people destroyed your life, bro, yeah. for for nothing. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. Yeah, it's true. And and our justice system needs a lot of work, um, a lot of work. The sentencing structure needs to change because tell me, this is another one. And I, I, again, I'll try to. I'm gonna try to make this not political, but. No, but the question was about about. I know, I, I know, but yeah. you know me, man. I think you should. That's there's the some same. there's some people in office right now. Um, the president of the United States, who uh, was one of the main authors on the crime bills that are re- the reason we have all of the sentencing stuff that we have mm-hmm. right now. And on that, the disparaging in sentencing when it comes to crack cocaine compared to any other drug, when it's crack is the same drug as cocaine. But but look, the white people had coke and black people had crack. It's crack you get almost double the time for yep. as compared to coke. If that's not the most racist thing that you ever heard in your life, like I can't even fathom how that's like. There's guys 
that I was in prison. And the government knew this. The government knew all of what you're saying, bro. They knew. They know where the drugs are. They know when the drugs are coming. When the drugs are, you go. There's gonna be. The, there's no the, way they didn't know. Like, how can you take the same drug, literally the same drug? One of them you just mix with some baking soda and water. It's the same thing. Other than that, and one person gets because it's the community. I think it comes down to the communities where it was. Yeah. Absolutely. And we can go even further conspiracy theory, which I don't want to, but talking about how well, a lot of crap was brought into the neighborhoods. A lot, by a, lot of times, a lot of times, black people, the reason why the, the uh, cocaine was, you know, was they turned it into rocks is because, for one, they had to stretch it. So yeah. if you had, I mean, you got to think about it. If you're in a hood where you don't have access to all the resources that they have in the white community, I mean, you just don't have, you know, $100 to buy, you know, yeah. um, you know, a grandma, a grandma, a grandma, I'm trying not to, yeah. you know, we don't know if the kids, what kids no, are watching, that's but, true. you know, I don't want to be educational when we talk about that, but yeah. that's true. Since you already said that, right. You don't want to go out and spend a, you know, a hundred dollars. Well, back in those days, $80 and $90 a gram or whatever. And then you go out and, uh, and one, that's one person's pack. Right. Yeah. But in the hood, you take that and you'll, you know, you'll create, you no, know, it's true. It's a, it's a way to make money. And that it's a, it was an epidemic that, hurt black people bad when it yeah, came yeah. to crack cocaine Absolutely. you know and they say that that the government some people say and again i don't know have any factual thing to back this up but i've heard it a lot of times about how the government brought crack to the hood now i don't know if that's true or not have Man, you ever I heard believe that 100 i don't know if it's true or not i mean you th bro you ever you ever look at the declassified documents no. in the united states library of congress no i know that you're it'll all blow, it'll we blow, can't even go there now blow your mind, <laughs> when bro. we me and you've had conversations about <laughs> stuff like that and you've taught me a lot that i didn't have any idea with especially when it came to ownership of land and yeah. all that stuff that you taught me with so, but the but the but one thing I do like a lot is that you know when they declassify these documents, if you know where to go to read them, you can read them, and you learn a lot about this country when you read declassified documents. Yeah, and I'm sure, I so, mean I'm sure there's a lot of bad stuff in there. My hope, my prayer is that we can all start trying to figure out how to come back together because when, it's, it's happening. Because when people have power, when we have the power, when yeah. we all come together, it, we tell the government what to do. Not the yeah. government tells us what to do. You know what I mean? They work for us. We elect them. They they do what the people want, but it's got to be the majority. And if we're split in half, yeah. they don't have to worry about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, so y'all, thank you for, for listening to me um, answer these questions. It was kind of fun to just have a different format. And again, you know, you guys all know my heart. Um, I do get funny when we start talking about race, but it's just because it's something <laughs> that's really important to me. Um, I want to see all kids have the same opportunities. I want to see all people have the same opportunities. And I know that having conversations like this is where it has to start. Like, yeah. I know that we're just two guys sitting here in your studio just chopping it up. But I really feel like if we can get these conversations going and, and let people, you know, let both sides understand both sides mentality and how we got there and figure out how to make it better. That's that's my prayer. You know, you know, it's, 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 it's I'm a, I'm going a, I'm to a say this, you know, uh, Skip Bayless, right? Mm -hmm. Shannon Sharp. Yeah, you know they have a lot of conversations about race. Oh, do they really? And and it's always very interesting because Skip Bayless is you know well to do. You know, I ain't gonna say middle aged You know, but well to do yeah. white guy. You know, I'm not. I don't know if he's conservative or what, but he is one of the few people in a position to impact change or to help usher in change who owns up to shit right now he'll say that's that's true that's what they did we should find a way to rectify that yeah 
Man, that is that's the key right there. I agree. That it's- that's the if 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 you get enough, uh, I say white men that are in positions to enact change. Uh, that really starts to sow seeds back into the black community, and yeah. not and not for profit, not so they can. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna buy all this land so I can maintain the land and do no yeah. to really do some to genuine, authentic, authentic. Yeah. You know, uh, um, you called it one time again, reaching across the aisle is what you reaching across, reaching the across aisle, the aisle yep. and helping other people up yep. and get back. You know what I mean? Like when you when you put it into terms like that, it I think that that really hit home for me with. The change oh, but you've been doing it though. Like that's that's been your thing, period. Like even with you know with Second Chance Fitness, you know, I, I mean, I, I I get a chance to watch you know you train other people sometimes, man, and I see how you train everybody. You know, whether it's a a black lady or a white lady, and I'm not just saying this because you're my friend or yeah. we on your podcast. I'm just saying I see I see this. Thank you. You know, these are the things that you know that I think when you when you watch people in their element when they don't think that you're watching them. You can learn a lot about them, right? That's good, yeah. So, but but you're the same person whether you're talking to me or you're talking to you know a sister yeah. that you know might not necessarily be um, the most attractive sister. You you give her the same yeah. attention and the same motivation, and there's nothing that you would say, "Oh, he's being extra nice to her because she's fine." You know, no, bro. Like I've watched this dude train <laughs> train yeah. sisters that ain't. Man, that sounds terrible. I know what you mean. But but sisters that are aren't the most beautiful people and people that are, you know, very attractive and it's the same motivation. My favorite yeah. thing in the world is to watch a person build confidence. Yeah. Boys, women, men in the gym, anywhere. That's literally my favorite thing. A girl comes in the gym, starts working out, starts feeling better about herself, starts carrying her head up high, gets a little swag back, like that's I could. I that's would life do, changing. I would do that for free, mm-hmm. like without the money. If there was a way that I could support my family with it, like that's that important to me. Same thing with the boys. So many boys come into our program angry, like they come to the first couple meetings mm-hmm. with their arms crossed, just mad. Yep. And now I've got pictures of them with you know Paul Facina. I don't know if you remember he came in here and did the yeah I like podcast. him. He cool. Yeah, he's super cool. But just yeah. a fifty year old middle aged you know very successful very wealthy white man who loves pouring into these boys. Yeah. I mean he loves it. No, he cool. Yeah, he loves it. And now that I've got pictures of these boys hugging on him and smiling and like but he's genuine though. Like people down can pick, people can yeah pick up on it. It's true. And that's another one. You know that lady asked what is a good quality in a mentor is you know being genuine. You know. There's a lot of there's a lot of different different ways to look at that, but I think that was good, man. I think thank you for doing this with me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I know I said this in the beginning. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for you. Um, hopefully, you know someone gets something out of listening to this each time. But I enjoy doing it, so thank you for the push. I love you, dude. Love you too, bro. Um, remember, y'all listeners, you guys are you're loved and you're forgiven, and there's nothing you can do about it. So we'll see you in a couple of weeks.